0: Right, we move on to the Vickers Report. My apologies for not having written this, but I wasn't entirely sure what I was going to say, and I just needed a bit of time to, to really think what I needed to say, because it's different to other APCM reviews. Um, yeah. So I wanted to start by reading something. When I left St Saviour's nine years ago, I was given lots of cards, and you read cards and you have lovely things written in them. And somebody gave me a postcard. And when I read the postcard, it jumped off the page and I knew God was speaking to me. You get in a moment sometimes when you know this is God speaking. And it was a picture of a, of a tower uh, made up of stones. And it said this, I saw a tower made of all the people in the church. On the ground were fallen, broken stones and stones which had jumped out, not wanting to be hidden by the others, leaving stones exposed and vulnerable. Loving hands were taking these strewn broken stones and one by one gently mending them and one by one tenderly placing them in the building. Every stone was different in color, shape and size and yet they all fitted together perfectly. Each stone is supported on each side and under and each holds the one above. It's similar to the passage in 1 Peter, that image of God's people being like stones being built together into a tower so I received that and thought oh God is saying something to me not quite sure what he's saying but I knew he was speaking. I then had a retreat before coming here and I was rereading a book that I'd read a long time ago called In the Crucible by Robert Warren. Robert Warren was very strong on church planting and church growth uh, around Sheffield and he'd written about his experiences of church growth And he quoted a prophecy that they received as a church. And I read this. I'm building my church in this place. I'm not calling you now to gather more stones, for they're all here on the site, but they are scattered and separate. I will build my church with these stones, but for this to happen, they must be joined to each other, cemented together in love. As that happens, those who are hurt and needy will be drawn to this place. They will find shelter from the storm and strength and refreshment to go out to serve me in the world. But remember, those stones must be built together, cemented together in love, if my church is to be built. So I began to think God was saying something to me, and what he was calling me to do. And I have a real sense that that was God's call on on my time here, about building and strengthening God's people in this place. Now, in some ways, that's what every vicar does. To continue to build and strengthen the people of God in a place, but I felt God had spoken quite specifically to me, so when I was thinking about what to say this evening, I felt I needed to start with that and then to reflect on what does that look like in my time here. Two things come out from that particular prophecy of Robert Warren, and the first is this that Jesus is the capstone, and that comes from um, one peter Jesus is the capstone. Jesus is crucial to everything that we do. He's crucial to our faith, to our identity, and everything that we do as a church. And I think establishing that as a fundamental principle is key. And we know that. And I can delight in saying that, you know, Jesus is central to everything that we do. We know we can do nothing without Jesus. And that's a value and a strength and a tenet of faith that is precious to each one of us. The second thing that struck me was this, that, that love is the cement. Building a people of love that reflects the love of Christ, I feel is something that I have been trying to do, that love needs to be one of the fundamental values, that we love one another. We love because God loves us first, and that love binds us and we become strong because we are cemented in love and we must never ever forget that. And as we strengthen in love we become stronger as the people of God but every stone is different. So loving one another and having Jesus at the centre doesn't mean that we all look the same. And one of the joys of being God's family is that we are all different And again, we reflect that and we rejoice in that. We don't try to make clones of ourselves. But we recognise the strength of being our own person, our own identity, but knit together the way that the wardens are working in different ways according to how they have been gifted, rather than saying this is the, the blueprint of what a warden looks like. If God is calling Guy, he calls him as Guy, not as Patricia. And Patricia is Patricia, not guy and that's important that we actually become ourselves and we are different and we've seen growth I delight in being able to tell other people that we are seeing growth in this place and I delight not because it's an achievement of us it's not about brownie badges Wanish has got the x badge I delight because God has brought people in and I look back and I see what God has been doing people say to me what's your strategy what have you been running to get people in and I say God's brought them in and that's the truth yes we work well with him but God has done an amazing work and I look back and I see spiritual growth and I see numerical growth I see people who've moved into the area come and find a home here People who've moved church for a variety of reasons and come and find a home here. And I also see people who've never been to church where it's not been part of their upbringing and they also are finding a home here. And that's really healthy. It's exciting that we see growth spiritually and numerical. I'm not interested in numerical growth unless it's spiritual growth. But we have deepened as God's people in our understanding of who he is, who he's calling us to be, and what he is capable of, and we ask hard questions, and that's really good, and we've become a deeper people and a more varied people. Our demographic is different. We are now far more representative of the communities that we live in, and churches need to look at that, because if you're living in a village where all ages live, and you only have one age group, you're not representative of the community that God has placed you in, And so again, when we do our October figures, and I can see a spread across all ages, I rejoice in that. I look back and I see many, many moments of cementing and shaping. Because it doesn't all happen at once, does it? If you've done a building project you know that you know you have it all starts really quickly and then you get a big lull and then something goes a little bit wrong might maybe have to be unpicked and then you start again building a people of God as <coughs> stones in a tower takes a long time and there's various key moments and I could list many many but I thought what ones speak to me this evening as I'm as I'm just speaking for me one of the key things in the last nine years Was the mission trip that went out to Uganda? I know only five people from here went, but the impact of that mission trip has affected us all. It affected those of us who went deeply, and it changed how we understood what mission was about. Because we were thinking about what do we do when we go there? What do we go and do for these people in Africa that will be of help to them? And quickly realized that it was actually about us learning. But us learning, moving out of our comfort zone, being submerged in a situation that was at times desperately uncomfortable and learning from other people and learning more and more about God. And that has changed how we as a church understand mission. Because mission isn't about just sending people out and supporting others who are doing the work. We are all involved in mission. Because God calls every single one of us to be witnesses to his love wherever we are and we're all involved in that we also know that partnership is key that mission partnership is about learning from one another and the way that we've got to know our mission partners thinking back to that trip and developing that further and taking the lessons and t- you know changing the, the way that the mission team was looking at mission partnerships has all had a massive influence And we know we're a church that invests in mission in its widest sense. And our mission isn't just the people we support. The mission is everything we do. But we have a particular friendship. And we share the gospel with those who are working elsewhere. And we learn from them as much as we are able to support them. I think we learn more from our mission partners. And we happen to be able to give them some money sometimes. And that is a fantastic place to be as a church. So that mission trip sparked off so much i look back at the weekend away at walkfield park that now seems quite a long time ago where we were gelling in a way and and recognizing that we did a, a fun exercise on the first evening and worked out how many people had been there before i arrived and how many people had arrived since my time. it was about 50 50 and realizing that this is a church community that is continually changing with organic growth sometimes you actually have to stop and look at that and that was a moment where we said yes we are an organically changing and growing community and that brings challenges but it brings great joys and I think that was a key moment of saying let's embrace who we are and rejoice in it and that then linked to the pilgrimage to Canterbury which when Guy first suggested it I thought that's never going to (laughs) happen and it did and I sat in Canterbury Cathedral and looked at... It was about almost 100 of us sitting in Canterbury Cathedral, having got there in different ways. Again, we are all different. We don't all have to do it in three days. Some of us went by bus, and that was okay. It was the being together in a cathedral with a worship style that's not one-ish, but that we all enjoyed. And I thought, my goodness me, we have moved on so far that we are rejoicing in being here and watching um, Mike and Guy in their scruffy shorts and boots (laughs) bringing in the bread and wine and presenting it to Justin Welby. I thought, wow, this is quite a moment and it's significant and it it shaped who we are. Those conversations that took place and the shared experience of worshipping in a place that's not the norm for us and yet embracing it wholeheartedly was a joy. I think our involvement with the school has been really um, an amazing way which has shaped us and changed us. It's become a mission partner and that has changed how we understand what goes on within the school. God is at work in the school before any of us ever go in to help. If I never took an assembly, God would be at work in that school because the children pray every day and there is a space for God to enter in. And I am overwhelmed every time I go into school at sensing the presence of God in that place. Our responsibility then is, God, you're at work. How do we work with you? And being creative and strategic in joining in with what God is already doing. Because it's amazing what God is doing in that place. So it's not us thinking, how do we do assemblies in school? It's about recognising where God is and what he is doing and how we then work with him in building on those connections and making that open spirituality real in families and I just think that's amazing and the whole journey of the school going from an infant school to a primary school for me personally was an exercise that I was heavily involved in and seeing that school as a full primary that has sustainability financially which it didn't as an infant school and doing amazingly well is such a joy. It's an incredible place and we are privileged to partner with them. The refurbishment of Lawnsmead. It's having another bit of a, a remake, but it's important. I'll tell you a little story. One of the first meetings I went to here, I think it was the very first meeting, was a Lawnsmead committee. And it was a little bit downhearted. And I did begin to think, what on earth have I done? And it was about how we might tinker around the edges. The chairs weren't very comfortable, so how might we get some new chairs? And I looked around and thought, gosh, the chairs are the least of our worries. This is not an inviting place. And I sensed that Lonesmead was a burden. It was one of those places that we were having to spend money on and didn't quite know why it was there. And we've changed how we see Lonesmead. It is a resource for mission and outreach in our village. I think we don't use it enough. But it's an amazing gift in the centre of the village. And for us to recognise it's important to invest in it, to make it a good place for whoever use it is something that allows us to see its potential more and more. Like I say, I think that we could be using it far more. But we've changed. It's not a burden anymore. It's a resource. And we need to use our resources well. And then finally, the buying of Springfield. I can kind of look back and it's almost like, well, yeah, of course it happened. We got all this money and we bought a house. But again, when I tell people at the diocese, you managed to buy a house? Outright, How did you do that? Well, we prayed and um, we sought God's will on this and we came together as a church and said, if this is your will, Lord, you'll make it clear to us. He made it so clear that we had enough money to buy the house outright. Amazing, because that showed an investment in our youth and children's work and it showed a reliance on God because we were only going to do it if it was God's will and it was so evidently clear it was his will that... we even had money left over and that doesn't happen very often so lots of moments i could go on and on and on but you know tonight is about other things and you're waiting to hear the archdeacon i know that so how do we build on what's been going on i would be saying this regardless of whether i'm going or not because I, i i know what potential there is here we need more outreach the opportunities are there there is a hunger in our communities to know god People come into this place and they stay. They come because they're getting married and they have to come for six months and they meet Jesus. And I know that because I talk to the couples. There's people coming to Chatterbox who sense community and love and care and sense the love of God. They might not be able to articulate it that way. But people are hungry for Jesus. And we need to make more of the opportunities for outreach. And I think we need to increase our confidence in inviting people in. Because we create spaces of opportunity where people could come. And we're not good at inviting people to come in. The carol services, in most churches, you can't get a seat in a carol service because everyone's bringing their friends and family. And yet we don't have that culture of actually inviting in. We've run alpha courses and very few outsiders came because you know we can't do it. We need you to invite people in. And I think confidence in inviting people in could happen more and more. I think we need to rejoice in the variety of people that God has brought in and then think strategically and creatively. We've begun that once a month with a nine o'clock service and a ten forty five service. The ten forty five service has taken a while to settle but it's settled and we know now what it's for. It's for those who are not used to coming to church. And I wonder what God is saying about that. And I wonder whether we need to develop that pattern of service to more often than just once a month. I will hang that there because that's something for the future. But offering different styles of worship to different people is really important. Because if you've never been in church, you've got to find something that's accessible. And even though we're quite an informal Anglican church, we have ritual and language that isn't always accessible to an outsider. So we need to bring people in and bring them through. And we don't keep them on on milk. They move on to food, but they have to start where they're comfortable and where it's accessible. I think we need to widen an understanding of pastoral care and what that actually looks like. They will know you are Christians by their love. And actually, pastoral care, a lot of it happens unseen But being a little bit more strategic about pastoral care is something for the future. And I think there's something about strengthening the church community, of actually enjoying being with one another. The highlights are big events like the weekend away or the pilgrimage. They're really hard to organise. The smaller events, it's harder to get a sense of community, of people coming. And I know it's because people are busy. And I think my question is, what does community look like when lives are busy? do we have to know everybody? No, I don't think we do. But I do think we need to have points in the year where we actually look around and say, this is who we are as a united community. And if we end up having more services in different congregations, there is greater need for that. Hog roasts, whatever it might be, find the thing that people will come to and strengthen the people of God, where I started building a tower of the people of God what happens next the archdeacon is going to fill you in a lot more it's his role not mine it's hard for me because you know I want to get everything sorted I'd love to leave with everything neat and tidy and I can't do that it's no longer my ministry and the next six weeks is me giving up the task that God has given me because it's no longer my task it's painful for you and it's painful for me but that's the reality of it and the archdeacon will take a lead role legally the wardens along with the area dean who is also me so there won't be an area dean are legally responsible for the church during the vacancy so pray for your wardens for patricia for alex and for guy pray that they're not burdened by this because this shouldn't be something that weighs them down but pray that they step up into that responsibility that God has placed upon them and that when it's needed, they are able to take that legal responsibility for the running of the church. Pray for David. David is the associate vicar and so therefore he will be responsible for the clergy team. Pray for him over this time because he's got a heavy workload as well. And again, pray that he doesn't feel he's got to take on everything that I've been doing because that isn't going to happen but pray that he will be released to be who he needs to be for this time, and that God will equip him with everything that he needs as he holds together a strong and vibrant clergy team. There are more clergy here than at the cathedral, and that's a blessing that needs to be handled and cared for, and pray for David in his role as that. So I'm just going to conclude. There'll be other sermons, but for today, words to you. Keep dreaming big dreams. Don't ever stop dreaming big dreams. And keep believing in a God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. This church will only grow if we believe it can. And if we step out in faith, expecting the unexpected, and God will do that. I'm a big dream person. Don't ever lose that. I want to finish with a prayer, and it's a scary prayer. I've prayed this many times, and I wrote this not long after I arrived here. It's attributed to Francis Drake, but whether it is or not, nobody really knows. But it's called, Disturb Me, Lord. And as I pray it, just see if your heart resonates and if you can pray this, because if you can pray this, God can do everything in this place. Disturb me, Lord, when my dreams come true only because I dreamt too small. Disturb me when I arrive safely only because I sail too close to the shore. Disturb me when the things I have gained cause me to lose my thirst for more of you. Disturb me when I have acquired success only to lose my desire for excellence. Disturb me when I give up too soon and settle too far short of the goals you have set for my life. Amen. Big dreams. God is a big God. Don't ever limit your expectation of what he will do in this place, and he will do amazing things.